This morning we are going to read from Job 36.26 where we left off and then read all the way through chapter 37. And uh, I think it's just a, a great opportunity to hear and speak of our Lord. So uh, will you open your Bibles and read along with me? This is God's holy and inerrant word. Behold, God is great and we know Him not. The number of His years is unsearchable, for He draws up the drops of water. They distill His mist in rain, which the skies pour down and drop on mankind abundantly. Can anyone understand the spreading of the clouds, the thunderings of His pavilion? Behold, He scatters His lightning about Him and covers the roots of the sea. For by these He judges peoples. He gives food in abundance. He covers his hands with the lightning and commands it to strike the mark. Its crashing declares his presence. The cattle also declare that he rises. At this also my heart trembles and leaps out of its place. Keep listening to the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. Under the whole heaven he lets it go and his lightning to the corners of the earth. After it, His voice roars. He thunders with His majestic voice, and He does not restrain the lightnings when His voice is heard. God thunders wondrously with His voice. He does great things that we cannot comprehend. For to the snow, He says, fall on the earth. Likewise, to the downpour, His mighty downpour, He seals up the hand of every man that all men whom He made may know it. Then the beasts go into their lairs and remain in their dens. From its chamber comes the whirlwind and cold from the scattering winds. By the breath of God, ice is given and the broad waters are frozen fast. He loads the thick cloud with moisture. The clouds scatter His lightning. They turn around and around by His guidance to accomplish all that He commands them on the face of the habitable world, whether for correction or for His land or for love, He causes it to happen. Hear this, O Job. Stop and consider the wondrous works of God. Do you know how God lays His command upon them and causes the lightning of His cloud to shine? Do you know the balancings of the clouds the wondrous works of Him who is perfect in knowledge. You whose garments are hot when the earth is still because of the south wind, can you, like Him, spread out the skies, hard as a cast metal mirror? Teach us what we shall say to Him. We cannot draw up our case because of darkness. Shall it be told Him that I would speak? Did a man ever wish that he would be swallowed up? And now no one looks on the light when it is bright in the skies, when the wind has passed and cleared them. Out of the north comes golden splendor. God is clothed with awesome majesty. The Almighty, we cannot find Him. He is great in power, justice and abundant righteousness He will not violate. Therefore, men fear Him. He does not regard any who are wise in their own conceit. Our great God, the designer and architect 
of creation. We have read this morning of just a small part of your work. And we, like Job and Elihu, are in awe. We approach you this morning with humility and just ask you as your children. We ask you to teach us to work like you work. But help us to understand at the same time that the only work that matters is work that is done in your strength. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Before we get started, I'd love to, uh, as, as has become our custom, share this gently used book with you. It's a book by Tim Keller called Every Good Endeavor. And as I was preparing for uh, the sermon this morning, this book uh, was so helpful to me and really helped to shape some of my thoughts, as you'll hear later in the sermon. Um, And it really helped encourage me as I go back to work tomorrow. Um, Really a a great book to be able to understand why do we do what we do in our jobs. And so I'll put this on the back table, and uh, I'd encourage you to pick it up and read it, and then, as Pastor always tells us, pass it on to someone else uh, if it's meant something to you. If you spent any time on the Internet recently, um, you have probably heard about a new platform called OpenAI. There's a language modeling program that it has uh, called ChatGPT. And uh, ChatGPT is an artificial intelligence that is designed to simulate a human in everyday conversation. So there's a, a lot of people that have been talking to this computer and it's been having conversations, I guess, with it. But this week, uh, a group of professors from NYU and from Princeton and from the University of Pennsylvania released a report that broke down the jobs that are most likely going to be affected by this new technology. Um, So I read through the list, and the 63rd most likely job to be affected is personal financial advisors. And so with that in mind, allow me to introduce you to your new financial advisor, Uh, this robot would like to tell you everything you need to know about finance. But I actually don't feel too bad. Uh, That was the 63rd uh, most likely affected job. The 46th most likely affected job is clergy, so here's your new pastor. (laughs) But really, as we uh, take the time to think about it, what does a computer, what does AI mean for all of the people whose jobs could be affected? Is it time for us just to declare a a universal basic income and then let the robots take over, right? If a robot can perform a task better than I can, can't I just sit at home and enjoy my life? And while we're on the topic, work's pretty demanding some days, isn't it? Uh, If you're like me, there are some days where you just want to walk out of the office and never come back. And I think, like, I've watched this throughout the course of my life. If you work as a homemaker, that's even more difficult uh, because, trust me, I unloaded the dishwasher that one time, and then all of a sudden it got loaded again, and I don't know what to do next. So um, there's kind of this ongoing cycle of work that never seems to be done. Often we wonder why we work. Why do we have to, every single day, work the nine to five, and then go home and work some more? And I think these are all really excellent questions that we wrestle with now and that we will be wrestling with, AI or not, we will be wrestling with for centuries into the future. 
as followers of Christ, the nature of our work may look different 30 years from now than it does today. But even still, we are called and commanded to work just as our God works. And so my hope is today that as we study, that we will be encouraged in our work, whether you are the CEO of a Fortune 500 company or someone making fries at McDonald's, that we can be encouraged and find meaning in everything that we do and that we would do it for God's glory and in His strength. And as we look at Proverbs... Uh, we look back to King Solomon, who lived almost 3,000 years ago, and he wrestled with the exact same concepts. Uh, and uh, you'll find, I think, in this sermon that as much as I've been asked to pro- uh, preach from Proverbs, uh, you'll find us talking a lot from Ecclesiastes, also written by Solomon. So you turn in the Scriptures to Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. <clears throat> We're going to look at a couple of passages where uh, Solomon gives us his views on work. They're ever-evolving as he wrestles with what it means to, to work, the richest man who ever lived, and yet he also toiled. Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, Officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. I just want to make a couple of preliminary points from this passage that will develop as we go further into the message. First of all, industriousness is built into creation. I'd love to do a deep dive into ants. Uh, that might not be as comfortable for some of you. Um, but suffice it to say that ants are made to work. They have a very clear system of work. Work gets done in an ant colony. Ants don't need, as Solomon reminds us, don't need anyone to tell them where to go or what to do. They have no guide, they have no officer, they have no ruler, and yet they do their job efficiently and very well. But then second, we, not just creation, not just ants, but specifically we are commanded to work. And we find wisdom as we study ants and we understand how well they work and how they do it. Uh, We find wisdom and we understand better how we should be working for the glory of God. And we also see kind of at the end of that passage that uh, rest is a gift, but when it is idolized, it can destroy us. I preached a a sermon on rest a couple of years back, and I almost went and pulled that out, and, and we could talk a lot about rest, but rest is a gift of God to man. But when we idolize it, when we set it on a pedestal and it becomes the thing that we care about more than anything, it will ruin our view of work. It will destroy us. On the other side of things, let's turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and see another uh, perspective that Solomon has on work. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 18 through 23. I hate it. 
all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. And oh boy, do I ever feel that way often. It's so easy just to find this passage, identify with it, and then just camp out on this feeling. What makes the difference? What changes our minds? And we'll see later that Solomon's view of work is far more developed than this. But for right now, he's just giving us a very common view of what work is. There's an intense emphasis in this paragraph on rewards. Uh, I don't get to enjoy it. I don't get to, to uh, enjoy the fruit of my labor, right? I, don't, uh, I have to leave it for someone else. Look at all the skills that I had to develop uh, and, and accomplish this work, and no one who sees it will ever even fully understand it. It can seem meaningless when we think of work in that way. He also overemphasizes rest. Look how hard I'm working. I just want to rest, but even at night I can't get a good, a good night's rest. If we stay in this attitude, and maybe you've experienced, like me, you've experienced this before, it can lead us to bitterness and to resentment. And unchecked, it leads to a life just empty. A life of emptiness. And we'll be spending our entire lives hunting for satisfaction in work, but never finding it, no matter how many jobs we go to, and no matter how many different careers we try. Maybe... You've spent your life working the old nine to five and you've been as happy as can be, but without realizing that as you work, there's a deeper satisfaction and joy to be found than anything you've ever experienced. And so no matter what our attitudes are towards work, let's walk through this journey together just over the next few minutes and let's look for joy and allow God to rescue us from emptiness in our jobs. Uh, whether that's a big job at home or a big job at an office. So let's begin by thinking about God Himself. God works. It is God's very nature to work. In Genesis 1.1, the first words of the Bible, the Bible says, In the beginning, God created. Before we ever learn of God's omniscience, and His omnipresence, before we know of His omnipotence and His unchangeableness, before we hear one word of His holiness and His righteousness and His sovereignty, before He demonstrates to us His love and His grace and His mercy on the cross and in the face of our sin, before He shows us how infinitely good and just He is, the stage is set for the great narrative arc of history, and in Genesis 1, Act 1, Scene 1, the curtain opens and God is there. And He's working. 
And he does not stop working. Uh, We look at how he works on behalf of his people throughout the book of Exodus. The book of Deuteronomy records Moses at the end of his life, and he's boasting to all of Israel about how God has worked on their behalf. And he pleads with God in Deuteronomy 3.24. He says, O Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? He says, God, all this stuff that you've done is just the beginning. I want to see what you're going to do for us when we get into the land, how you'll work on our behalf. And sure enough, you think about everything that happened in Joshua and Judges, and God is actively working to accomplish His purposes in the lives of His people. And then we get to Solomon. Uh, And he writes later in the book of Ecclesiastes, if you look at chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, you don't have to turn there, but uh, he says, When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find out, even though a wise man claims to know it. He cannot find it out. Later on in Ecclesiastes 11.5, he says, As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. And we look throughout Scripture and we see that God continues to work. We, we could read the book of Job and that entire book and especially the last several chapters are a picture to us of our God who is always working. I met my dad at a pretty early age, I think, uh, and since the moment that we met, he has been working. He's 70 now and he works in a maintenance department at a hospital and I often ask him, when are you going to retire? He doesn't know. He says, when I retire, what am I going to do with my life? And, uh, and the answer is fix old refrigerators. But uh, <laughs> Ever since I was a child, uh, I remember waking up at odd hours of the morning and my dad would be coming in from work. He's been, uh, he had been at the office or at the store that he managed. Uh, even now, he goes to work at odd hours because somehow he's the only guy at the age of 70 who can fix a computer uh, and he, that he doesn't even understand or who can understand how to rig a pump so that it works the rest of the night. He's always finding projects to do. Uh, when we're at the house, uh, he'll just wander out into the garage, and I'll wander out there 10 or 15 minutes later, and he's fixing an exercise bike that he picked up off the side of the road. Or maybe it's a motorcycle, or maybe it's a mandolin that he picked up because he wants to be a luthier and fix musical instruments for a living. Um, or maybe it's a refrigerator, like I said. And he'll always, uh, you know, just about every time I'm there, he'll walk back into the house with a mandolin or a guitar or this random box with wires sticking out of it. And he'll say, oh, look, look at this, Nathan. And he'll tell me all the things he's done to this point, And it doesn't make any sense to me. But he has just been working uh, on that box. And somehow it's going to eventually do what he wants it to do. I flew him up uh, to work on our deck with me a couple of years ago. And uh, 
he got a shower as he was about to leave on his flight, and he got out of the shower and was ready about 20 minutes early and decided that was the time to tear into my air conditioner and figure out what was wrong with it, because why sit for 20 minutes when we've got 20 minutes to work? And I, I hope that somehow I've learned from him the importance of work. But my dad has one flaw. When he's done, he's done. And it doesn't matter what he's doing or where he is, he will be flat on his back on the floor and you cannot wake him up. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've tried this since I was a kid. When dad, when dad comes and lays down on the floor, you can yell in his ear, you can shake him, you can try and move him. He's not moving. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Isaiah 40 tells us. As much as I appreciate my dad, and I understand that he's got a, a worker's mentality and he's very industrious, he is nothing compared to our God who has never grown tired, who has never stopped because he's run out of energy, who continues to work all things together for good to those who love Him. We also see that God works for His own glory. And He works for the good of His people. And He works for the furtherance of His purposes. We can go anywhere in the Scriptures to see this, but this is a great opportunity, I think, to speak of our Savior. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that Christ is the emanating brilliance of the glory of God. And He is the exact imprint of the Father's nature. So let's learn from Him why the Father works. And John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer is perfect. If you would turn to John chapter 17. John 17, verses 1 through 5, we see that Jesus, as a son of his Father and as God himself, works for his own glory. John 17, 1 through 5 says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. That they know You, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom You have sent. I glorified You on earth, having accomplished the work that You gave Me to do. And now, Father, glorify Me in Your own presence with the glory that I had with You before the world existed. God is working. And He's working to be glorified. And in every situation that we find ourselves and we see the hand of God working, God is working for His own glory. We can often ask ourselves, why did this thing happen? Why did God allow it? Why did God work in this specific way? And we can rest assured knowing that no matter what is being done by God Himself, that He is working for His own glory. We may not see it, but He will be glorified. In verses 6-8, through eight, Jesus uh, is, is uh, speaking 
about the next reason that he works. Uh, and that is for the good of his people. He's always talking about how his work is for the redemption of his bride. And just a, a few of these verses, John 17, verses 6 through 8. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Jesus Christ was sent here to work the work of salvation so that you and I might receive His inheritance before the Father. And He is still working on our behalf. Uh, we could go to Hebrews and, and read of how Christ, our High Priest, is working for us. And, and He also says, I go to prepare a place for you. He is he's working to prepare that place. The question, what is Christ doing on behalf of His people right now? is a sermon series, it's a commentary, it's a lifetime of study in and of itself because Christ is doing everything on our behalf. And we can know that anytime we see the hand of God, not only is He working for His own glory, but He's working for our good. And then thirdly, God works for the furtherance of His purposes. The purposes of God are so vast that we cannot comprehend them. But for just a, a microcosm of what He has in store, let's keep reading in John 17, verses 17 through 19. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. The purpose of God is for the furtherance of His kingdom here on earth. That's what Christ is working for. That He may further His kingdom in our hearts and then through us further His kingdom in the hearts of those who we share the Gospel with. This is the spread of the Gospel. And we get to be a part of it. So just very quickly, let's jump into our second point. We work. Not only does our God work, we work. God has created us to work. Just like God, it is in our very nature. We are a working people. Genesis 1.28, the very beginning of creation. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Genesis 2.15, God takes the man and He puts him in the Garden of Eden and the reason is to work it and to keep it. The very first thing that you and I as humans were given to do is work. And I think in our mind, maybe there's a little bit of a disconnect because, you know, welcome to the world I created for you, now go work, doesn't seem to be like the best thing we ever heard of, Right? But you have to understand and we have to, to grasp work in the garden was not slavery. It wasn't a drudgery. It was a joy. So how did we get from there to here when I have to drag myself out of bed on a Monday morning and crawl on my hands and knees into an office and then find three voicemails and five emails that somehow I have to respond to in the middle of my four appointments? We see, as Adam and Eve worked in the garden, that sin desecrated work. 
Work itself has been cursed. And you don't have to turn there, but Genesis 3, 17-19 says, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That's how I feel on Monday mornings. Sin has cursed, or through sin, work has been cursed by God. And, you know, we haven't done anything to help either. Just as we read earlier, we have idolized work, and we've idolized the rewards of work, and we've idolized rest, and we can get away from work because it's hard work. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, Solomon says, Then I saw all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and striving after wind. Solomon says, Every time we get good at a job, As humans, it's probably because we're looking at someone else and going, I want what they have. I've got to get good at my job so I can get what they have. Are we being rewarded the right way? This is a question that we find uh, in industry today. Are we treated well? Are we making a lot of money so we can have everything we set our heart to? When our work is performed merely for the sake of reward... It has lost its intended purpose and meaning. Ask a CEO of a Fortune 500 company if his latest $30 million bonus was enough. Is that enough? Can you go now? Can you retire? It's not enough. Ask the king of a nation if all of the pomp and accolades that he receives are enough to satisfy him. Is that enough? Ask Solomon. Ecclesiastes 2, 9-11 through I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. That's tough, isn't it? To understand all the things that he gave himself, and yet it was worth nothing to him. We also have idolized the rest, and and that really is a mark of our culture today, isn't it? You, You see on TikTok and on Instagram and on social media of all kinds, work is too hard. This job I have is too hard. And I I sound a little bit like my kids. It's too hard. I have the basic right to not be made to do hard stuff is essentially what we're hearing. And back to Proverbs, Solomon has nothing good to say about someone who refuses to work because work is too hard. He calls them a sluggard. Uh, Proverbs 6, 9-11, through we read it earlier. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? God has some stronger words even still than Solomon did. In Luke chapter 12, verses 19 through 20, we hear the, the story of the man who had a huge harvest. And in Luke 12:19 through 20, he says to his soul, Soul, 
You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And God says to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? When our desire to work is surpassed by the burning desire for the easy life, it has lost its intended purpose and meaning. But Christ has redeemed our work. Christ has gone to the cross not just to ransom us from sin. That is a very important and the most important thing. But He, he, he went to the cross to redeem us from the emptiness of work. Our work as believers, as followers of Him, now has purpose and it has meaning. And He invites us into the work that He is doing. In John 14, verse 12, He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in Me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will He do because I'm going to the Father. When we accept that invitation, when we believe in Christ, when we are in His service, we work for the same purposes as He does. And so, think of your job right now. In that job, we work for the glory of God. Even the most mundane of jobs is an opportunity uh, to show off our God, to imitate Him to the world around us, and in doing so, to bring glory to Him. Matthew 5 reminds us, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We work for the glory of God. We work for the good of God's people. Uh, throughout the epistles, we're commanded to work on each other's behalf, to work so that we can support those in need, to work to bear each other's burdens. And the Apostle Paul described what that looks like in his life in Colossians chapter 1. He says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. And you may not be an apostle, you may not be a pastor, but that is our job as well, to work on behalf of the people of God so that we may be presented together as the bride of Christ in the moment when we stand before Him. Spotless because of the work of Christ, but also as He has used us in each other's lives. In Christ, even the most mundane of jobs is an opportunity to reflect the kindness that God has shown me and to reflect that to others. And we work for the furtherance of God's purposes. Think back to the first task we were given as humans. Our work in the garden, right? And as Christ ascends to heaven after purchasing our redemption, what is the task we are given? Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Go preach the Gospel. Go work so that others will hear. So why work? First, God works 
Second, we work. Third, why work? What is it about work that is so special that it is the first thing we see God doing in creation, that it is the first thing we are commanded to do after being created, and it is the last thing we are commanded to do as Christ wraps up His work on earth and ascends to heaven. He says to go and do, go and work. What is it about work that is so special? Scripture tells us that just as God has demonstrated His work in our lives, work has been prepared for us, not to salvation, but for the purposes of furthering the work of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, and verse 10 as well, you you know these verses. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Jeff Vanderselt, a pastor, puts it, this, puts it this way, our being in Christ results in our doing like Christ. What God has done to us, He now wants to do through us to the world. And, and Scripture tells us that these works are predestined for us just as we were predestined to serve in them, God's eternal sovereignty goes beyond just our eternal salvation. And that sovereignty transcends time and it extends to our moment-by-moment actions in our daily lives, including our actions as we work. And just as God's eternality meets us in time, our works which are bound in time, transcend the eternal. And so we see that work is a shadow of God's work in eternity. It is a picture of eternity. And I'm indebted to the book that, that, I, put on, or that I will put on uh, the back table uh, to Tim Keller for this thought. And I'm just going to paraphrase a couple of paragraphs that he has in this book. He argues that your job today the mundane job that you have that you go to every Monday, that everyday job actually matters for eternity. And maybe this will encourage you to to pick up the book. He says, we all want to matter, to make a difference, but that is beyond the control of any of us. If this life is all there is, then everything will eventually burn up in the death of the sun and no one will even be around to remember anything that has ever happened. Even our best endeavors will be nothing unless there is God. If the God of the Bible exists, then there is a true reality beneath and behind this one. And this life is not the only life. Then every good endeavor, even the simplest ones, pursued in response to God's calling can matter forever. That is what the Christian faith promises. But, like, what about your chosen vocation? So he uses the example in this book of a city planner. You have a, a real vision of what you think a city should be. And, and it, it's a perfect city in your mind. It's the ideal. And, and as you work that job, you are likely to be discouraged because you will work your entire life and you will never see a perfect city. But Revelation 21 and 22 promises us that there will be a perfect city 
city. There really is a new Jerusalem, a heavenly city, which will come down to earth dressed like a bride dressed for her husband. Or let's say you go into law as a lawyer because you have a vision for justice and a vision for a a flourishing society where equity and peace rule. In ten years you'll be deeply disillusioned because you will find that as much as you are trying to work on important things, so much of what you do is minutia. And imagine your job. Whatever it is, you need to know this. There really is a true reality behind it. Whatever you are seeking in your work will one day really, truly come to pass. Even on your best days in this job, in this life, your work can only be partially successful. But the promise reminds us that we are born into a living hope. That one day everything will be made new and right. And the thing that you're striving for, whether it's beauty or justice or cleanliness because you're a carpet cleaner for a living, whatever it means, that perfection will one day come to pass. And we have been part of showing a picture of that here on this earth. Our work, not just in a vague spiritual sense, but down to the energy we expend lifting fries out of a fryer, our work is enabled, it is energized, and it is expanded through the power of the Spirit. And just to round out my alliteration, we could even say it's, it's elevated and it's escalated. So there's your, your five E's. So stand by for a few scriptures here. Philippians chapter 2. How does the Spirit work within my work to make it enabled and energized and expanded? Philippians 2 verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 8 and following. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. Scripture even is given to us. And he concludes those verses for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And Isaiah 40, those well-known verses... He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Do you feel faint at your job? Look to Christ for his strength. Remember your purpose. Take satisfaction in really good french fries. It's okay. If if you think back to Genesis chapter 1, God did that. 
He created the earth and He turned around and He looked at what He had made and He said, it is very good. We too can take satisfaction in a job well done as we do it for the glory of God, for the good of others, and for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. And in Ecclesiastes, when we finally see work from God's perspective, we find joy. In conclusion, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 9-13. through 13. Here is Solomon's conclusion as he sees work. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them then than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. When work is redeemed, it is no longer a drudgery. It's no longer the dreaded nine to five. It is a gift. It is a joy to work. We were created to work. But desecrated work or profane work or work that is done outside of the sanctifying of the Holy Spirit is vain. It is emptiness. In Christ, redeemed work fills us with joy and rest. Matthew 11, uh, it's fitting that we close with this, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Christ calls us not to go sit on a couch. He calls us to take His yoke, to work with Him. We are called to work and we are called to His rest. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for what You have in store for us in heaven. One day we will be there and uh, all the work that we've done on this earth uh, will not matter much by itself. But as we have chosen to dedicate it to You and to find joy and and rest in that work that You've given us, that work can matter for eternity. I pray that as You work in our hearts to do that, that You would give us joy, that You would give us peace, that You would give us wisdom and understanding as we continue in the book of Proverbs to understand all that You have called us to, both in our everyday jobs and Uh, than in the rest of our lives. Thank you for the, the privilege of working for you. And it's in Christ's name. And if you would just take a few moments of silence and consider what Christ has done for us on the cross, consider the work that He has called you to and enter into that work with Him.